And that jarring cacophony, as always, tells you you're listening to the Power of Three podcast. That Scottish Doctor podcast where we discuss, divulge, digress, disagree as we work our way through the Doctor Who universe. And welcome to a very special episode for Doctor Who Podcast Day. Hashtag DWPD23. I'm Kenny Smith. I am joined by my co-conspirator and a man who's been here since the very beginning of The Power of Three. Hello everyone, David Steele here. Thank you for joining us. We're live on location today to make it interesting, so there might be some nice background noise. Hope you enjoy that. Kenny, what are we doing to celebrate Doctor Who podcasting? Well, we're going to start off by chatting about our own Doctor Who podcasting experiences. So what was the first Doctor Who podcast you remember listening to? It would have been the very first podcast I ever listened to actually, um, which was Toby Haydock's Who's Round, which was initially released through Big Finish and that led me on to start dipping into the Big Finish podcast, which was responsible for me getting back into Big Finish in a big in a big style and sort of run about 2013-2014 after many years of not being a regular listener. So yeah, Toby's Who's Round podcast, which I believe is still available. Um, it's phenomenal. What he did try to do in the, the 50th anniversary year was talk to someone who'd been involved in the making of every single broadcast um, TV story. And he almost did it. Spoilers. Um, and it was glorious because he would he would do really deep interviews with people who'd worked on the show in various capacities, be it writers, actors, composers, whatever. Um, and got lots of really interesting stuff, not only about the Doctor Who contribution, but about their own lives. It was fascinating. He still does the odd interview podcast occasionally on his own podcast now. Um, but not as many. But there was a glorious period in the... It was just... It was reason to live, quite frankly, for a while. Yeah. What was the first podcast you ever listened to? I think it might have been the Big Finish one. Right. I think it was... How on brand am I? Yes. But no, it's absolutely true. Yeah, Big Finish podcast was the first one I listened to. And then, like yourself, went off and listened to Who's Round, which was available through Big Finish, as you say, still is. And, um, you know, I'd listen to the odd thing here and there. But now I've... I just love them. I mean, there's I've got quite a few favourites. I love the all-new Doctor Who Book Club podcast, right. the NDWBC, which is great. Um, and I've, I've listened to that when I was walking through LA, um, listened to one of their episodes and laughing. I've enjoyed quite a few sort of Doctor Who book-related ones. There's some Doctor Who audio ones that I enjoy. Uh, the Sirens of Audio mm-hmm. from our pals down under. Great stuff, getting really good interviews there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, see, I... I I listen to a lot of podcasts, very varied sort of range of podcasts, and my Doctor Who podcast limit, sorry, my Doctor Who podcast listening is quite limited. There's a lot of shows that I'm aware of that I keep meaning to dip into, because obviously you've been on Sirens of Audio yourself, haven't you? I have a few times. times. They do grab some really good people for interviews and stuff, and that's what I'm into. I like interviews and talking to real people rather than opinions when it comes to this sort of stuff. That's why, of course, it's so handy that we have Kenny's Bottomless Address book (laughs) for our own efforts. Um... My friend Ross does one called Gallifrey's Most Wanted, which is, is fun to dip into. Um, and of course, I should mention Brandon Peters occasionally dips into Doctor Who on the Brandon Peters show, and they're both a couple of lads, along with Kenny, who helped my friend Peter and I out on our own Earth 2 podcast very recently, so there's a plug for the Earth 2 podcast. Yep. Again, talking get, that, of, get that out of the way right now. Yeah, talking of appearing in podcasts, what do you remember about how this one came about? It came about, um, I think, because you didn't. You, you and I had known each other for a long time and you and Tom had known each other for a long time and Tom had the idea of doing this and I'm going to be brutally honest it started terribly because we started recording without Tom and I ever having met in real life 
I think we could have, with a few years down the line, I think we could have handled the beginning a little bit better. It took us a little while to find the rhythm, I think it's safe to say. Slightly antagonistic in some episodes near the beginning, um, till we all got each other's measure and probably actually got to know each other a little bit better. Um, so it's kind of original, the original sort of plan was three Doctor Who fans watching three Doctor Who stories at a time and talking about them. We'd try and find links or if they were sequential, that sort of stuff. We had, we had a funny episode, I remember, where we talked about survival in a TV movie and Rose because they were those three consecutive broadcast Doctor Who episodes in three decades, you know, with three different Doctors. Um, but, you know, various sort of degree, you know, with Tom and I's sort of active interest in Doctor Who sort of declining and being busy in other areas, we kind of we fell away from that and it's, it's kind of evolved, as I say, into kind of the exploration of Kenny's bottomless address book and just a general love for the thing full stop and occasionally obviously Kenny will record with me or he'll record with Tom or he'll record with John or he'll record with John and Stevie or any combination of above um, when there's something really important happening um, and it's it's become something else but I mean what's your memories of, of PF3 starting? I remember Tom and I were out for dinner um, I was out doing a review I'd been invited to the Blythswood restaurant in Glasgow which right. is very those who know it's very posh very, very exclusive posh, yes and we were out there and Tom said, I had this idea, why don't we start doing a Doctor podcast? And um, he gave me the basic concept, I thought, yep, I'm in for that. And he said, do you know somebody else who would be up for that? I thought, well, I know straight away who'd be up for that. <laughs> and uh, he wasn't available, so I thought I'd ask for you. <laughs> yeah, let's ask what Dave's deal's up to. <laughs> and, uh, no, seriously, you were first choice. And, because um, I know that we all have very differing opinions in as to what is good Doctor Who and mm. what is bad Doctor Who. Mm. Sometimes we agree very yeah. closely, but we have you know lots of stories we like in between. Because yeah, the sort of running gag is that I'm a huge fan of Sylvester in season 24 in particular, and Tom really doesn't like it at all, and delights in winding me up with yeah. it occasionally. He knows which how is to nice. hit your button. He with does. That one. God bless him. So it sort of um, yeah grew from there, and obviously we did the first recording remotely. And then, thankfully, the things I used to love was because we'd go around to Tom's on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Tom would make his bacon rolls and a lovely mug of tea. Yeah. And we'd record around the table. Yeah, they were fun. It'd be nice to do one of those again sometime. I'm sure we'll be listening, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> it has evolved, as you said, because you know, during lockdown we kept it going, get an episode out every year and every, every year, every week in 2021, and kept it going for a while. But then, just with a change of job and my other podcasts. Um, pieces of eight yes. on the rise as well. That sort of sort of time factor and sort of, well, given that you were sort of losing your enthusiasm as yeah, was it was it was one of those things that I didn't I didn't I couldn't fake it anymore. That's the wrong way of putting it. <laughs> I just I just um I just didn't feel passionate enough about Doctor anymore to talk about it. And part of that is that my malaise has been my a sort of general dissatisfaction with the TV series for quite a long time. We'll see if that changes. I'm happy to still chip in occasionally as I say if there's an important thing going on or you know or whatever and this there's been some good stuff this year to kind of keep keep the flames of my 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 appreciation sort of kindling along like Ken I went down to that convention in May and made our expedition through to Edinburgh so we'll see as I say yeah happy to join in so you, you mentioned your other podcast commitments there yes so let's let's have the big shameless plug for pieces of eight yep it's um to my knowledge, the world's only dedicated Eighth Doctor podcast, because I did discover at one point there was an Eighth Doctor book dedicated podcast, right. uh, which was going Fiction Paradox. Very nice wee pun there on Fiction oh, yes, Paradox. I like that. I like but that. unfortunately, um, 
the team who were doing that, they just stopped doing it as I think one of their number dropped away and right. they lost enthusiasm, which is a shame because I really enjoyed it. But I do have all their episodes downloaded. So they were particularly good for referring to when doing the, the episodes in December where we looked at the first first 18 EDAs yeah. and spoke with all the writers where they were available. Uh-huh. And where they weren't, we got clips of them, which was great. So everyone's voice was represented. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was good fun just sort of doing that and um, you know covering everything and anything it's Doctor. Yes, yeah, so you've you've done um, you've done stuff on the Big Finish stuff. You've done stuff on comic strips. You've interviewed a, a number of people involved with the TV movie. We've become quite good pals with Matthew Jacobs, if that's not presumptuous. Because we there was the t- we went through to Edinburgh to see his his documentary Doctor Who Am I, which is obviously very Doctor influenced. Um, and you've even had the man himself on, haven't you? Yes, that was brilliant. That was um, total. Bit of luck with that. He was up in Ed- he was up in uh, Bonness, opening their silent film festival, mm-hmm. and because I knew the PR person, I was able to get along and was guaranteed an interview with him. I got the last one of the day because they knew that I might go on a little bit longer. <laughs> um, so instead, so everybody else got ten minutes, whereas I got like fifteen. Yeah. 15 and 18 or between 15 and 18 minutes and um, so that was lovely and then I, it was the first time I'd ever met him bizarrely yeah. or interviewed him and then literally a month later I met him again down south at uh, an event in Derby and of course I mean he, he would have known known you your, your big finish credentials and such yeah. like wouldn't he of course yeah, yeah. so that's sort of going and um, but we'll come back to um, Piece of the Way later because there, there is a little tie in for mm. hashtag DWPD23 yes what we're talking about today so yeah i'm still i still love podcasts i'm knocking out two a week at the moment that sounds a bit rude um but it's great fun oh yes it is it's um i enjoy them myself i mean i i i follow about eight or nine podcasts and it's only they're very helpful at keeping track of the day of the week it is if it's tuesday it must be this if it's wednesday it must be talkville if it's monday it's going to be brandon you know that sort of stuff um they're obviously very, very popular. There's quite a few podcasts that get set up and don't last the distance, so it's encouraging that, that you've got, you're as committed as you are to, especially to, to Pieces of Eighth. Um, Our Enough 2 podcast is going to pass the 200 episode mark, wow. probably by the, maybe by the end of this year, I'm not sure, certainly early next year, um, which is hilarious. It's, um, yeah, it's... The, the, the definition of sort of specific niche broadcasting in a way aren't they yep. you find a special a particular podcast that you like it often feels like you're just spending time with your pals absolutely I mean, that's, thing. that's what I was going to say about the you know, especially during lockdown the big finish podcast and the Benji and Nick show Sundays were something to look forward to because of that it's like cool I'm going to listen to Benji and Nick for three hours it'll be a, dis- a distraction from the awfulness but yeah I mean the great thing is you know, also the fact that it's we spend an awful lot more time hanging out as a result of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. That's the best thing about it. And absolutely. even today, here absolutely. we are. We've been out for a walk and we've, I've asked to record this and you were more than up for it, which absolutely. is lovely. Absolutely. So who's the... Um, who, who are you talking... Who who have you dug out from your bottomless address book for this special episode then, Kenny? Well, this episode was actually born out of an episode of Pieces of Eight because, as I'm sure most people who are online will be aware, 
there's recently been some new pictures of Paul McGann in his Night of the Doctor style outfit. Mm-hmm. And of course, for Peter the Eighth, I think this is a good thing for us because it's new Eighth Doctor content. Yep. And the original thinking was this would be a good wee extra episode for Doctor Who Podcast Day. But having got in touch with Stephen, I discovered Stephen Ricks, the tailor who has sort of designed and made the costume for him. He's got an awful lot more going on and thought actually this is a really really interesting talented individual mm. who's made replica sixth doctor fifth doctor costumes and indeed he's got a great story to tell about fifth doctor because he's actually made the costume for peter davison now and i just thought this is a great story well worth telling so in a in a first which seems appropriate for doctor who podcast day this is a two-part story yes you'd almost think it was um a deliberate homage to, to Johnny Morris's flip flop from Off a Big Finish, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. The, the trick will be if you can listen to it in um, the two episode, the two separate episodes in different orders, and see if they still make sense. <laughs> well, I think you will be able to, because uh, over on Pieces of Eight, you'll find myself and my favourite Belgian Tina Peters having a discussion about it, particularly if she's a cosplayer with all three McGann costumes. So we're Fantastic. going to, if you want to hear about that, once you've listened to this episode, pop over there and listen to it. And if you've already listened to it and you're coming here now, then welcome. And uh, we hope you enjoy this one. So yeah, it's uh, fantastic. Really enjoyed chatting with Stephen. Very talented and in the background, which which you can't see, unfortunately, um, because I didn't record this one for our YouTube viewers. Obviously, you can watch this in the park today um, as the skies get darker. But yes, in the background, he had a Colin Baker coat, the new McGann coat, and a new David Tennant waistcoat for the 14th Doctor. Awesome. Awesome. Without further ado, Dave, let's head over and chat to Mr. Stephen Ricks. Uh, my name is Stephen Ricks. I work as a bespoke tailor and I tend to specialise in uh, replica costume work, especially Doctor Who. So what got your interest in Doctor Who in the very first place, Stephen? What was the big hook? What was your first memory of the show? Well, my first memory of the show is something that I don't even actually remember. Well, I, my mum tells me that uh, we were watching Doctor Who one day um, when I would have been maybe about three or four years old. Um, and the doctor had beaten whatever enemy it was and there was a big explosion and all that was left was their feet with smoke coming out and my dad came home from work that moment and being a little three or four year old I just couldn't really sort of communicate what had happened so I came running to my dad at the front door shouting heads off, knees gone that's kind of my (laughs) reaction to then I have later worked out I think it was the Crotons so that kind of gives you an idea when I first watched Doctor Who. My first vivid memory of Doctor Who, I think, would be Spear from Space. Um, not so much watching it as such, but um, we used to go shopping to Sainsbury's in Edgware High Street. And to get from where the bus stop was to where Sainsbury's was, you had to go past this lady's clothing shop and I had to be taken to the other side of the road because I was afraid the mannequins were going to come alive in the shop window. So, yeah, I kind of was sort of completely taken in by Doctor Who back then. So, yeah, and there's particular stories through John Pertwee's era that I can vividly remember watching first time around, things like the the demons and uh, the sea devils in, uh, in particular. So it was kind of from then on, and it's just sort of been something that I've 
enjoyed and watched ever since so yeah kind of from the age of maybe three or four years old when did your interest in your your when did your career really begin and uh, what sort of led you down that path well um it would be worth mentioning along the way that when i was probably around 10 years old i used to what used to enjoy watching the muppet show um and i wanted to make my own muppets so went along with my mum to like sort of local fabric shops and we found sort of faux fur fabric and my mum had like an old singer hand crank sewing machine and she taught me how to use it uh and i was running up my own little sort of badly made puppets back then so that was my first experience of using um an actual kind of sewing machine as such so that you know literally sort of 10 years old because that would have been 1976 and I think after that, I didn't really do a great deal sewing-wise. That wasn't really something that I'd done a great deal of. I did bits and pieces here and there when I needed stuff, but not in a con- uh, conscientious way. But it was really when David Tennant became the Doctor, and I really wanted that that long coat of his. And a friend of mine said, oh, you can get those on eBay. So he showed me the listing, and there it was. It was really good looking sort of David Tennant coat for I think it was about £45 so I ordered this thing and it turned up and I thought it was dreadful and I literally I said I I could have done a better job on this my mum's old sewing machine so borrowed it back off my mum and I decided to take the coat apart and create a pattern from it fix the bits that I thought weren't quite right made a couple of coats and it kind of I thought oh this this is cool so I took it into work and showed this friend of mine who told me about ebay um and he said oh yeah there's there's a thing called cosplay have you heard of it and i was no not got a clue so he said oh there's these websites where people post pictures of themselves in costumes i i found one which was like a forum for doctor who and various people were posting pictures of coats and stuff they'd done costumes so i got a couple of pictures of the coat i'd done and put that up there and was getting a really positive response which kind of amazed me at the time because i didn't think it was that well made but people seemed to like it uh but one guy was like saying oh would you would you sort of make me one of those coats and i was like not really i'm not really a tailor because back then i was working in print advertising i was working in a swanky advertising agency in uh, chelsea harbour which is all very nice but I wasn't a tailor, but this guy would not let it go. How much do you want? Just name your price. Happy to pay whatever you want me to pay. So I kind of just dreamt up a bit of a price, which I thought was a reasonable one. He just said, okay, where do I send the money? So then I was like, oh, I've got a, <laughs> I seem to have a commission for a coat. But as I said, I, it was just making a coat for someone else. And someone else came on, um, came onto this forum, was asking me, can I get a coat made? Uh, so I had a couple of people making coats that I was chatting to. But this was all around the time of what we now know as being the banking crisis, where um, we had the banking crash and all that sort of stuff going on. And one of the first things that companies do when they have a financial problem is they cut advertising revenues. So all the work that we had just kind of disappeared overnight. Um, and I kind of left in the second round of redundancies. Uh, but I, it was a 
decent company and they gave us a decent payout and I'd be working there for a few years so I got a certain amount of money plus the uh, amount you get for them for time time worked uh, so I kind of thought well I'll just I'll just sort of plod along a bit doing freelance work at other age, other advertising agencies and maybe over the summer I'll just kind of finish these couple of coats off but I was working, I was doing freelance work, but it was, I don't know, the industry had kind of changed. It wasn't really the, the advertising business that I kind of had got to know and work in myself. So I kind of thought, well, I don't know, maybe this tailoring thing could be a way forward. So I looked up where to get training and I found a, um, a college course that I could do where I could learn how to tailor. And I kind of took it from there, really. And I've sort of gone from one thing to another and people coming to me saying, have you ever made this coat before? And I was like, well, no, but I can. So it was always a learning curve. And I always enjoy, no, no, things aren't fun unless you're learning something. You know, you, you, it becomes a little bit easy if it's just the same old thing over and over again and you're not sort of progressing so i thought well yeah let's 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 do some training let's sort of find out what sort of where i can go with this and it just kind of snowballed and i've never really been idle when it comes to tailoring work so i gave up doing the freelance work and it became a full-time self-employed business that's amazing i mean having i used to work in newspapers and magazines so i know very well what you're talking about but in terms of the the budgets and the finances and everything being pulled when there's financial oh uh, yeah yeah i mean i was i was i was um running the color control on big ad campaigns for dkny and uh, clinique and all these big big companies going into the daily mail evening standard and color supplements for the times and all this was like it was all very high high flying stuff i was never really taken in by all the how wonderful it all was but it was you know i, I enjoyed the job um and it was interesting to, to, to kind of learn and progress back then from being just a junior um operator to becoming eventually when i left a, a studio manager but the type of job that i was in didn't really seem to be around after the banking crisis it, it, the, the 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 whole landscape of advertising changed quite a bit so i was quite pleased to get out of there when i did and I've been doing tailoring now for longer than I've done any other job, so I'm, I must be enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. And that's the good thing. If you can enjoy your work, it makes such a difference. And so we'll, we'll come to some of the, the marvellous creations that I can see behind you, but the listeners can't yet. We will reveal what they are shortly. So I take it that um, you're doing just sort of standard tailoring, not just cosplay initially and doing, I'm going to say, proper and in inverted commas work. Well, I... I I wanted to, to do things to the level that I would want to get that garment done. So I didn't want to do things just using cheap printed cotton fabrics. I wanted to do it using the right fabrics that were made to make that original garment. And what you alluded to just a moment ago that your listeners can't hear is behind me. There's a copy of one of the uh, six doctor coats that I've made. And this coat's got 14 different fabrics in it to make that coat happen. And I had to create most of those. There's like a, a red tartan in there that had to be specially woven in Scotland to get that to happen. There's a lot of solid 
color fabrics but they're all precisely color matched to the original coat so there's quite a lot of work's gone into it. it took me it took me three years to get all those fabrics together to then be able to make the first one that i sort of produced so i i didn't want to cut any corners and there's a very very special lining inside this coat that's uh, that's woven and a company that i got to know quite well they said they the produce linings they said if you if you ever need anything done special we can do custom linings for you so i was yeah great okay so i went to them and said can you replicate this lining and they said well it's woven so we can't really do that we can only do like a solid weave and then maybe we can print it on top and i was like i, I don't want to print it i want to get this woven i don't want it to be just look like it i want it to be it so it took me another year to track down a weaver that would be able to take that on to then get this particular fabric reproduced to the standard that I actually wanted to sort of see it done. So there's and there's been other times when I've tracked down fabrics to use to make a particular coat and then that fabric's been discontinued. So it's meant that I've not been able to make that garment for maybe a couple of years until I found an alternative because I won't use a lesser inferior quality fabric to make a garment just to make it i've got it to me it's always got to be done as close as i can get it to the original um so it's tracking down fabrics recreating fabrics if i have to and working the patterns from there as well so it's that's the kind of i try to do that kind of level so it's yeah it's kind of all about doing it to that nth degree even to this to the stage that not long before covid hit um i did a training course on savile row to try to understand how they do their tailoring to try to bring some of that style and techniques into the work that i do so that some of the more sharper looking garments that i needed to do had that level of finish that i was after that's amazing because i imagine that research is a big part of what you do in terms of for example the stick doctor's coat and be able to get i say get as, as close a match as possible because looking at the one behind you that looks bang on just the pattern and the lapels and going round. yeah it looks yeah. you've spent an awful lot of time particularly with that one i did it was really funny because um in 2013 the bfi was running a special season of doctor who across the entire year and each month they were focusing on a different doctor so when we got to june they were focusing on colin baker and someone i know has one of the original one of the original free coats that colin wore for the show and he kind of bought that along and had it on a mannequin and they through one of the breaks during the day they had they got this guy up and he was talking about the costume etc and he knew that i was in the audience and I was obviously in my Sixth Doctor costume. So I got dragged out of the, the audience. I didn't know they were going to do this at all. And I went down the front and I'm standing there in my Sixth Doctor replica costume next to an original Sixth Doctor coat. And I was really pleased that <laughs> mine stood up. So, yeah, that was that was that was really amazing to be able to actually stand there next to one of the originals and see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got that right. That's so good. I'm so, I'm so pleased for you as well because it's you're, you're obviously as a fan you want it to be good as accurate as possible as you've said, and there you go. But I suppose there'll be things like um like David Tennant's original suit with getting that blue I think the the blue 
pinstripe through the brown because I think that was originally just only in trousers, wasn't it? Just from one particular yeah. clothing company. Um, yeah, what what happened back then was uh, Louise Page, who was the costume designer that they employed to to start doing costume design for David Tennant, she worked with David quite closely as to where they were going to go with the costume, and as often happens, costume designer went out with with the lead actor. They went down Oxford Street looking at various clothes down there just to get some inspiration. And they stumbled upon a pair of trousers in Gap. And they were cotton trousers in a dark brown with a very bright blue pinstripe. And David was, oh, this this is really cool. What if, you know, what if this was a suit? Ah, oh, but there's no jacket. It's only the trousers. So Louise kind of, little twinkle in her eye. She, What she did was she bought a whole armful of these trousers in the largest size that they could get got her tailor to take the trousers apart to harvest fabric from it and they made a jacket out of trousers from gap to then create a suit so he's wearing trou- the trousers he's wearing are just the trousers off the rail but the jacket is completely custom made but it's limited to just the width of fabric you can get from a pair of trousers so there's certain things about the cut where it's kind of limited to the width of cloth that was available. So a costume designer will do anything they need to to be able to create visually on screen what they want. So if they'll use a completely unsuitable fabric for that type of garment. So that fabric, the brown pinstripe fabric, is a cotton fabric. And you really wouldn't make a suit out of lightweight cotton you'd make it out of a wool or something like that or like a worsted wool fabric but she made it out of this brown cotton because that was what they wanted to look on screen and skipping forward into my own personal career doing stuff for film and tv i was asked once to work on a new tv adaptation of uh, uh fungus the bogeyman and we had to make these huge bogeyman character costumes and I was asked to make these massive dungarees out of this sort of camouflage fabric. But when I got the fabric from the costume designer, it was like a really stretchy jersey fabric. And it was just not the right type of material to use to make this garment. It, we had to jump through hoops to make it work. But it had the color and the design that the, the costume designer wanted. So that was what she got. Um, and that's what we had to deal with. So you, you end up making a garment out of something which is really not suitable. Sometimes the fabrics can work. Sometimes they don't work as well. I mean, the the coat that David Tennant wore was made from a, a faux suede fabric, which is supposed to be used for upholstery. So it's, it's actually upholstery fabric that coat's made from, not a normal fabric, nor normal coating fabric. So again, it's just down to what the costume designer's vision is. If they go out and find the fabric in the right color that they that they want to use at a price that they can keep in budget and the amount that they need, they'll they'll just buy and use it. And as a maker, you just get the fabric and you just have to muddle through. But there's lots of times where these things happen. But then when fans come along and they want it made of the exact fabric that was used to make this garment, they then sometimes have a bit of a shock that 
you get a finished garment made and it's not necessarily that comfortable to wear or it's not that hard wearing or it's not going to last the way they think it's going to hold its shape because at the end of the day it only needs to if it's a guest actor on a one one episode of a show it only needs to last 10 days for filming so if it's going to start to fall apart doesn't really matter it's just and looks needs to look good for those 10 days and then it just can just be fallen you can just fall apart but or you can whack it in a museum for the next 20 30 years exactly yeah but it's not necessarily day-to-day wear because some people will want to like i did i wanted to wear david tennant's coat and sort of swish around central london in this great long coat but other garments they're not really as suitable to be done as a day-to-day wear sometimes there sometimes there has to be a compromise between what the costume design is actually used and what you can then make a a piece of cosplay or something that someone wants to wear on a day-to-day basis so there's it's always playing off how it was originally made to how you can then make it as a piece of cosplay there's some things i do where i do make a little bit of a concession so that my clients end up with a garment that will last a bit longer hopefully longer than it lasted for the actual show so yeah it's 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 always trying to sort of find that that sort of middle ground between that i suppose one that i was delighted recently when i heard that you were the one who created the costume for peter davison to have at the convention last year yes how did that all come about that must have been quite exciting to hear from doctor who himself um well that was his costume that he wore for his cameo appearance in power of the doctor now i really should kind of rewind a little bit because after a few years of doing tailoring and stuff and i had a blog that i've they're still out there you can you can have a look and find them but i did a blog for each of the different doctors and was making all different costumes and it was a way just to kind of show people what i was doing what i was making and people would contact me and say oh i saw you made a uh, an inverness cape for like like john pertwee wore would you be able to make me one of those and we'd be able to work out how to sort of get some sort of a um something made for them but what had happened was it was one of my inverness capes particularly caught the eye of one of my readers and his name was robert allsop now robert allsop is really well known in the tv industry for making costumes back in the day he worked with worked on doctor who himself uh during sylvester mccoy's era he was the guy who made the candy man and he also made the umbrella prop that uh, sylvester had with the question mark on it and everything plus various other little small props along the way and he then created his own business and has been working on the most amazing film and tv work ever since and i'd kind of heard of him and then he started working on on new who he was he started on christopher eccleston's era and he kind of dipped in and out of that down the years but he kind of contacted me and said oh um i'm interested in having a replica of tom baker's coat made so i was able to get access to one of the original screen worn coats copied the pan from that matched it for color and made a replica for robert um and he then asked well we we do other stuff for film tv are you interested in doing bits of tailoring work because he had a tailor who worked for him but he um he was from poland and he was going back 
to take up his work that he used to do in Poland so he wasn't going to be around anymore so I got involved with doing various bits of costume for TV ads I got I worked on a thing for Harry Hill uh, making these sort of little mini me characters um, that he danced with on the openings of uh, uh, reboots of Stars in Their Eyes um, did various other little bits and pieces um, I never quite got to work on Doctor Who but eventually one day he phoned me up and said oh how are you placed this coming week and I said well I'm always busy but always got time for you Robert and he said well how would you be interested in working on a long-running popular science fiction television series and I thought ah at last Doctor Who so I ended up working on a costume for season 12 which was great fun to do and then I was asked back to do some more work on season 13 and made about half a dozen costumes for season 13 and then they kind of had finished making that season and all, all along the way I've always been wanting oh, it would be really cool to make for an actual doctor that would be so cool and at one point there was a uh, a moment where one of the costumes I had made was possibly going to be worn by Jodie but they would need to have it remade to a different to her size so it would fit better so I was on standby to make this costume for Jodie but then they decided to make a script change so this costume didn't need to be done so that was close but no cigar but then the costume designer for series 13 um, Ray Holman he was kind of aware of what I'd been doing with the replica costume side and I'd made replica fifth doctor costumes for fans and he got in touch with me and phoned me up and just said look I need to get costumes made for Sylvester McCoy Paul McGann and Peter Davison how can you help me is there anything you can do to help me do these costumes and I said well I'm not really I don't really do a great deal when it comes to Sylvester I can do some bits and pieces for Paul I said but I can definitely do Peter Davison's costume and he was oh brilliant that's exactly what we need so he commissioned me to make basically the entire fifth doctor's costume to kind of recreate it for, for uh, peter so i made the coat the trousers shirt the hat band that goes on his hat and i had my own cricket jumper which i kind of hired out to ray for use on on the episode and it was it was still kind of on the back end of covid so because uh, this was october 2021 that we did this so there was only a minimum minimum number of people were allowed into fittings so by the time you had the actor the costume designer an assistant that was as many people as you could have in the room so i never got along never got to go to any of the fittings or anything like that which i was really disappointed about oh you know but i'd still made the costume and it was it it was all filmed and done i did get to see a couple of sneaky pictures of peter at the fitting but we had to wait a full year until october 2022 to see the episode so I'd, I'd done it literally 12 months prior and i had to wait till then to be able to say anything to anyone because it was we were all under ndas and we already couldn't really say anything so I had to just sort of keep my mouth shut but peter when he wore the costume for the fitting he just said i love this costume can i can i keep it so 
Ray was, well, okay, we've kind of purchased it. Some of it's hired, but, you know, we can kind of work that out. So it was agreed that Peter would get to keep the costume at the end of the filming. But the couple of bits that I had hired had to come back to me. So Ray put Peter in direct contact with me to arrange to sell him these last couple of bits that had been hired. So that was quite fun. Um, That all got sent off. And unexpectedly, Peter was suddenly seen the following April, before the episode got broadcast, wearing his costume in his little recording studio under his... Uh, in his understairs cupboard for a photograph for Big Finish. They'd asked him, can you take a photograph of you recording for for one of these episodes of Big Finish Productions? Uh, But he decided to wear his costume. We were all a bit surprised he was wearing this costume. And a lot of fans thought, oh, it just conclusively proves that Peter's coming back for the centenary special. And then someone said, oh, no, no, I think it's for covers of the Big Finish production, so he's in costume. And people had worked out that I'd made this costume. So I went, yeah, that's right. It's for the big finished production. So I just swerved the fact that we'd done it for the episode, which hadn't even aired yet. But then when the episode aired, I was able to say, right, okay, cat's out the bag. I can reveal now that I made Peter Davison's costume. And one of my followers on Instagram is a guy called Ken Deep. Now, he runs the conventions out in the east coast of america um and he's got a convention he runs in long island and uh, so this was october and his convention was in november and within minutes apparently of me posting this picture of peter in the costume he phones up peter to say have you got this costume and peter goes yeah do you fancy wearing the costume for photo shoots for the fans and he was like yeah let's let's do it so that's kind of how the costume thing with Peter in costume for photo calls came about. It was because Ken had spotted this this posting on my Instagram and the fact that he realised that Peter actually had the, had, had the costume. So he's done it now in the UK and he's done it over in America and it's, it seems to be becoming a thing. It definitely does. When I was making the costume, it was I kept having to pinch myself that this costume I was making wasn't just... And I, as I'd done a dozen times before for a fan, I was making this costume for Peter himself. And I was like, I can't believe this is actually happening after all these years of tailoring away and wanting to make a costume for a doctor. At long last, it just suddenly happened. And it was just amazing to kind of think that all the work I'd done had now come to fruition during this. And there's other stuff I'd worked on, but this was, this kind of really was a standout thing to be able to make a costume for an actual doctor for the actual show where it was actually going to be seen it wasn't just a cosplay piece it was the real deal yeah it was that was absolutely amazing absolutely amazing yeah to know that millions of people all over the world are going to see it as well just that an extra yeah. little Ooh. yeah i i can't thank ray enough for asking me to to, to do the costume it was just yeah, that was. I really wasn't expecting that to have come about because uh, it was very late in the day during their during their schedule of filming. So let's wind back to season twelve or series twelve. I should be correct in saying. And you had a few jobs on that. Can you maybe tell us about some of the the creations that you had? And uh, of course, you sent me some pictures of uh, 
and uh, some of the things you worked on and uh, see the sea devil uh, really caught my attention as I was just thinking wow yeah well okay well we'll kind of come to that but first up yeah first up I was asked to make three costumes for for series 12 they were supposed to be these guard characters and they had costumes where they were black and white they're kind of like a black panel down the middle and white sides and white sleeves kind of gold sort of decoration around the top chest area and stuff so I had to make these three costumes and I was told they're just going to be kind of in the background a couple of scenes so those got made and they got uh, the whole again this was completely in COVID so it was all taxi drivers just dropping off fabric and then coming along and picking up the finished thing when it was done you kind of worked your own little bubble you just communicated to through rob all sops to do what the costume design was when it was wanted by how the fabric was going to come to you so it was it was a it was a, exciting to work on it but it was a bit frustrating that you weren't in there getting involved with doing the fittings and seeing how it was actually going to turn out. Um, so those costumes kind of got sent off. I didn't hear anything for quite a while. And then they said, oh, there's like a, an extra character we need. But it needs to be kind of based on these black and white costumes you did, but it needs to be all in all black with the same gold trim and stuff. They asked me to make this extra costume all in black. And they gave me... I knew how much cloth I needed to make the original three costumes that I'd made. And they said, oh, how much cloth do you need to do it all in black? And I told them, oh, you need probably about three and a half metres to get to get it done. So they then sent over the measurements. And I looked at the measurements and it said height, seven foot two, chest, 56. And I thought, have they got these measurements wrong? Should it be like six foot two, not seven foot two? Surely not. So I double checked and they said, no, this guy is absolutely enormous. So I said, we're going to need considerably more cloth. There's no way I can do this with just three meters. So we had to get twice as much cloth to make this costume. And I made it to the measurements that I was given. And it was, it was, it was nerve wracking because the sizing was just so big and you think surely this can't be right and I made the finished thing and I tried it on and the sleeves were you couldn't see the tips of my fingers out of the ends of the sleeves the jacket was supposed to finish sort of three quarter way down your thigh and it was almost down to my ankles so I sent it off fingers crossed again no chance of a fitting so I sent it off and I just thought, oh, they're going to come back. So it doesn't fit. I didn't hear anything. And then Ray got in contact and he sent me this photograph of Johnny Maffers wearing the costume. And this is the, the passenger uh, who's seen quite a, quite a lot in series, series uh, 13. And it fitted him perfectly. I couldn't believe how well it actually fitted because I, I, was, I was really expecting it needed to be taken in or let out or whatever. But it was it was fine. It was um, it fitted really well. So that was all great. That all went kind of along as planned, and everyone went quiet. And then I was asked, we've got this new, is this alien coming in? And there's a lead one, and it's like a pirate coat that's wanted to be made. 
and this was another actor this guy was i think he was about six foot four and they wanted this ankle length pirate coat but they wanted it all to be distressed and damaged so they wanted like a bit of extra length on it so they could rip it and tear it back and still maintain the length so the coat had to be really long really long plus the concept of it, it being a pirate's coat it was supposed to be like those nine those sort of 17th century coats with the, the pleated sides and the pattern for that is basically a quarter section of a circle and then it's all pleated together but when the waist down to the hem was about two meters so this circle of fabric was just absolutely enormous so it was really a challenge to be able to make this coat Plus, we were making it out of a really heavyweight moleskin fabric, which is quite heavy to to use. Um, and it had these great big turn-back pirate cuffs on it. And I kind of worked out quite early on that they were bringing back the Sea Devils. Though it was never really explicitly said to me, this is what we're working on. They were, even though we're all quietly working under wraps, it wasn't. this wasn't even being mentioned. I mean, no one wanted to be the one that caused a leak and meant that people found out that the sea devils were coming back. And as I said back in the day, I, I have vivid memories of watching the sea devils when it was first broadcast in 72. So it was really exciting to be able to work on, be part of these sea devils that were going to be sort of recreated. And Rob Alsop was the one behind creating all the prosthetic masks for the actors for that. And he did an incredible job with the sculpt and how it was done and loads of people got involved with all the painting and everything. And I got involved at one point helping to do the distressing of the coat, got called in one day to help out. And I was sewing on these all these little pieces of sort of netting, a bit like the netting that was on the original Sea Devils back in the day. So if you look really closely on the coat, there's all these little bits of netting sort of sewn on. But I was also paranoid about accidentally causing some form of leak. So every time I refer to the Sea Devils, I have my own code name for them. I called them Green Gilberts, which if you know the original story first time around, there's a moment, I think it's around episode four or something, where the Sea Devils take over one of the Royal Navy submarines and the captain is asking his, his second in command, where are we going? And he says, I don't know. Ask Green Gilbert here, pointing to the sea devil who's telling them where to go. So I used that little one throwaway line. So all of my invoices for all the work I did, at the top it says Green Gilbert. And when I was talking to Rob Allsop by text message, I was always referring it to as Green Gilbert. And he never really understood as to why, <laughs> what the reference was. So I sent him a clip to show him. But I was paranoid about the whole thing getting out. So when the Christmas, the uh, New Year's special got shown and it comes up on the end of the closing credits where you've got the trailer, nobody knew until that moment that uh, that the Green Gilberts were coming back. But obviously we, we'd done all this work. When was it? It would have been about July and August 2021. So again, that, that didn't get broadcast until the following Easter. So it was brilliant that it was, it was kept under wraps back at sort of all that time. So in all, I made six costumes for Series 13, but only half of them got screened. The, the original three costumes that I made, these black and white ones, they got um, they just got cut out. And I think they were 
the episodes were overrunning or something, so they they sort of weren't used, which was a great shame. But it was just interesting to then the idea. The idea was that the passenger was the same species as these three guard characters. So his coat is like an all black version of what we had, what had been designed for these three guard characters. So yeah, so it was it was it was a lot more work for series thirteen. So that was so that was actually that was that was enormous fun. Yeah. I noticed that behind you you've got a rather stylish looking waistcoat in a pattern that looks rather familiar. And so that's yeah. you in ahead of the game with the David Tennant new look. Yes, I mean um the the fabric that's used for David Tennant's 14th Doctor costume comes from a fabric merchant in central London who have a long history now of providing fabrics to Doctor Who. Um, but one of the earliest ones they did was the Donegal tw- tweed fabric that Matt Smith wore in Series 5, and then the Shetland tweed that he wore in Series 6, and then they provided the purple cashmere fabric that made his frock coat for Series 7. And then they provided the camel hair fabric that was used to make Peter Capaldi's coat in series eight. Um, so they've they've had a long history of providing quite a lot of fabrics for the show. So it, it didn't take much to work out really where they came from. But uh, yeah, what kind of when it would, that, that was one of those things where as soon as the fans worked out where it was, it was very much in demand. And they've had to get the fabric rewoven multiple times now to keep up with fan demand. So I'm I'm been making replicas of the coat and the suit that he's wearing. I've been very much in demand to get those made for people as well. So that's been that's been good fun. It's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed chatting, Stephen. And for those who are interested in your work and want to perhaps get themselves a costume, where should they visit on the interweb? Um, the best place to track me down really is on Instagram. If you look under Stephen Rick's Tailoring on Instagram, you you should find me there and you can see a whole raft of costumes I've made down the years or different versions of the different Doctors. Um, I've even made costumes where people have wanted a particular Doctor's costume they like, but they want it in a fabric choice of their own. So they want to they have it as a, a coat they can wear on a day-to-day basis. So there's lots of really good imagery there from clients that I've made costumes for, plus costumes I've made for myself. It's been brilliant. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. No problem. It's been really enjoyable talking about all these costumes. Thank you. Huge thanks to Stephen for that. And if you want to hear the specifics, as we said earlier, of the new McGann costume, pop over to Pieces of Eight. Kenny, if Stephen was to make you you had a huge amount of cash found a bag of used notes on the train, what what doctor item of clothing would you get Stephen to make for you? Um... After careful consideration with you throwing that question on me without any thought at all, <laughs> I'm going to go for Mel's costume from Time and the Rani. <laughs> really? I've, no. I'd, I'd like a I'd like a Night of the Doctor style Eighth Doctor coat. To be honest, I could rock one of those from you know fantastic with my inside leg and my shoulders. Quite <laughs> frankly, that's what I'd go for. No, I'm, that's a really good question. I can't um, believe you haven't thought about it. No, we um, done. Either that, right, the top three then, okay, right, well, the 8th Doctor Night the Doctor quote, I would quite like a jacket that, like the one that Tom Baker had in um, in season 12, and I quite like the kind of, the fitted kind of red velvety frock coat that 
Dr. Capaldi had. So that's I'd like one of those, please, okay. S- Stephen, if you're listening. <laughs> okay, for free. Um, no, I would probably... I think it's just because I'm very casual, the way that I like to dress. So probably I'd go for a McGann Dark Eyes look, right. an Eccleston look, right. or... I'm trying to think something su- suitably casual. Susan in the Dalek Invasion. Of <laughs> That's quite uh, laid back. I'll, I'll go for. Um, I can carry off the sort of like the Jackie Tyler sort of chic with the tracksuit <laughs> and tracky trousers is my normal. Yeah. Jackie Tyler is a is a, a secret um, Kenny Smith cosplay tribute. Anyway, quite. <laughs> but, uh, as we speak to you now, the rain is the skies have darkened and the rain's coming on. So yes. I think we will. Frontier stay. podcasting yep. listeners, this is how it is. Yeah. So remember to follow us on the Twitters. And you can find out what we've got on there. And, of course, remember to follow Dave on the Earth 2 podcast. Absolutely. And also, you know, click on the hashtags, dig in, get stuck into everything else that's happening for Doctor Who Podcast Day. You might find your own new favourite podcast out there. You never know. There could be all sorts of special stuff going on. So join and get involved. Yep. Um, so unless anything major happens, this has been our 132nd episode of The Power of Three, which is quite a number to get to. So um, 18 more and we'll be through the 150 mark, but we have got something very special planned for November. And uh, yeah, that's definitely going to smash our total. And it means that a lot of my evenings are about to disappear. <laughs> and a couple, of, a couple of yours might vanish as yes. well uh, to join yes. me. On I've, got those. To do, I've got to do some reading. Yep. Awesome. So there we go. So yes, happy Doc 2 podcast day. And on that bombshell, I've been David Steele. And I've not been asked the question. Oh, heck. Ah. (laughs) What what copyright infringement risking manoeuvre are you going to pull on us this week? Well, I was thinking, given we've been chatting with Stephen all about tailoring and costumes and stuff, quite a lot of what the Doctor's worn has been really cool and sort of in the moment. So she's in fashion by Swede. Oh, I thought you might have gone for David Bowie or for the Kinks, but that's fine. That's not bad. I'll let you off. Right. Be good, everyone. Enjoy Doctor Who Podcast Day. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Happy Podcast Day.